Welcome back to So Wait Pause, the podcast where we pair a good and bad movie and get drunk while we do it. This is Ashley, and I'm with my favorite drinking buddy, Sean. Last week was fun. Yeah, it was. We definitely will continue to have guests. And by guests, I mean probably Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's our most loyal fan. (laughs) We have a couple others, but... He's our fan. (laughs) Yeah, he's our fan. No, yeah, that went really well. And uh, great pairing. I know. I was so not excited about those pairings, but I had so much fun watching them. Yeah, for real. I didn't know think that you would like Bill and Ted at all. Yeah. You know what I'm excited about for tonight? What? We have internet. Oh, we do have internet. (laughs) For now, at least. I thought you were going to say that there are no comedies. (laughs) I guess, well, no, it's not a comedy. We will be laughing, I promise. We'll see. First things first, I'm going to open up my beer because, boy, do I deserve it. What is that one? It's bubbling over. So this one is from Crosstown, and it's a cherry lime sour. Gross. It sounds like a beer version of that uh, cherry limeade at Sonic. Oh, it is a sour. That's for sure. That is where we differ on our beer test. I do not like sour beer. Last time I had a Crosstown beer, I was gagging on this podcast. Well, that was a seltzer. Yeah. Hard seltzer. Yeah, you really did not like that. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is the Appalachia Session IPA. That's what I'm about to open. Wicked Weed. Yeah, I saw that one and I thought you might like it. I hadn't seen you drink it before, so I grabbed it. I think I've had it. I've had a lot of Wicked Weed stuff. It's yeah. all pretty good. It's very hoppy, kind of yeah. dank. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I like it. No. Pernicious is like one of my go-tos, but it's like pernicious. And I mean, you can tell how dank it is because one of the beers is called, I think, Lieutenant Dank. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. So like. Well, the other thing that has been the most exciting development for us is like we're like 98% done with our renovation. Yeah. Like I can use the kitchen like a kitchen. Yeah. We uh, haven't used it like a kitchen, but no, we yet. could use it like a kitchen. Right. And then like I worked for the first day in my new home office today. Yeah. Which was super exciting. We're still recording in our den. Yeah. Um, Because we're we have to do some stuff to get up, set up our new um, recording station. But we've moved like... 90% of the stuff that was being stored in the den out. Like, I like walked in here last night and I was like, wow, my chest doesn't feel tight. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I can breathe. Next renovation is turning the den into a movie theater. No. I wish. Can you imagine? This would be a perfect space for like a movie room, movie theater. If we hadn't just destroyed our other living room, <laughs> I would maybe get into it. But we have to have a common area that's not a movie theater. Hmm. Am I, let me do take we? that back. We also, we have nothing that could possibly be a movie theater in our house. No, I mean, but this is a really long <laughs> right. room. I just made it sound like we live in a McMansion. I'm like, we can't have the theater. <laughs> no, I mean, if we got rid of the fireplace and just replaced it with a movie. My number one favorite thing during the winter is the fireplace. Yeah. Hell, even in the summer. When I just you, love a fire. When you can light fires. Yeah. That's something that we could not do During without some Duraflame. The historic snowstorm that was earlier this year in Memphis mm-hmm. completely snowed in, and we had no supplies to have a fire in the fireplace. Nope. We burned everything in the house and nothing lit. We, I mean, we're lucky the house didn't burn down. It couldn't have burned down. We couldn't even light a fire. We were setting potato chips on fire. Well, and that was an issue because it's the fat <laughs> that's supposed to... <laughs> actually catch on fire and this is true you yeah. could use potato chips to start like kind of as kindling the issue is that we had 99 percent reduced fat potato <laughs> chips uh so everything that was flammable was kind of well the thing is that like things were flammable we had no kindling to keep the fire going once we started it yeah that too 
Because there's several times where I got it to like, it was like a great roaring fire. And then 20 minutes later, it was done. Yeah, but here's the issue. Even when we did have kindling, and we've had a lot of kindling. We had like real regular kindling. We also had like fire starters. We had all that. I think it was a problem with the wood. It's just whatever was available outside at Kroger. Right. And I think something was wrong with it because it was not catching on fire, even with all of those other things. Right. And just to just to also add some color to this, Memphis will freak out a lot over the possibility of snow or ice, mainly because our city is not equipped to handle it. Yeah. But almost every single time it's an overreaction. And as somebody who loves snow, it really, it's just mean to get my hopes up like that and then it not happen. So, you know, to protect myself, I just was acting like this was like any other uh, weather forecast and like we're going to get a couple flakes of snow and then that was it. No, we were snowed in for over a week. <laughs> yeah, it was intense. And we and our driveway is a, is a steep hill, so we couldn't even get out of our driveway because we do not have cars with four-wheel drive. Well, and you know what? I even went out in that terrible weather, full of ice. I couldn't even steer. Made it the, like, mile or two miles to Whole Foods. And I even found you, like, a Duraflame equivalent. It was, like, the mm -hmm. eco-friendly version of Duraflame. Um, he never used it. <laughs> it's still in a sealed box. So I just want to, like, also the story that's not being told here is that day one, a snowstorm and being snowed in you start ordering cases of water and Duraflames like from Target and Costco as if it's going to show up on two-day shipping during a snowstorm. Well, it said that it was going to show up and it did right. not. So at the very end of said snowstorm, you did eventually get out and you did go get water and I guess get these environmental logs. But that's also when all the real stuff showed up. Yeah, but I mean like not the Duraflame. I think we had this stuff for like three or four days before no. the Duraflame showed up. But the water was a different issue. And we had to have water because the freezing caused the pipes to crack. So the whole water pressure, you know, across the whole city was reduced and it yeah. wasn't safe to drink the water. So that's why I bought all that water. By the time I got there, there was no water left and I had to buy like super fancy, like $2 a glass bottle of water, which is what I ended up getting. I bought like six, six or eight of those. What did you get from Costco? Oh, Voss water. Yes. Which we talk about all the time. We already, well, maybe we haven't talked about it recently, but no. we used to talk about it all the time because we had like a crate of it, but it's yeah. gone. We had our very last one. So Sean tells me, okay, I was able to order some water from Costco and I'm like, okay, awesome. And then he's like, it was kind of expensive. And I was like, water? And he's like, yeah, the only thing they had available was Voss. And he had bought like two 16 packs of Voss water. They didn't even use the glass bottling. And they were small. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, whatever. But the issue is that when you buy a like 24 pack of maybe even 40 something pack of water at Costco or Target, it's like $3. This was like $30 for like 16. Mm -hmm. And it was just in a small plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. Was the water worth it? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> it was not. It was not worth it. But it also showed up after the uh, boil water order had been lifted. Yeah, another thing that was delayed. <laughs> the snowstorm was over by then. It just took a long time to get here. Yep. So this was on top of the pandemic. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, supply chain issues all over the place. Right. Well, are you excited for my moving pairing? Yeah. As excited as I was for Chicago. But you, you know like, what? You I ended Chicago. up liking Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you'll like this. We'll see. 
Now, you did say one is like a Nicholas Sparks movie, right? The second one is. Okay. And I loved Midnight Sun, Mm -hmm. which was not Nicholas Sparks, but could have been. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So if it's like that, Mm -hmm. then maybe I'll like it. Is Bella Thorne in it? No, Mandy Moore and Mm. Shane West of uh, Get Over It fame for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, a lot to remember. Wait, real quick, though. Do you see the recurring theme here? Hmm. So here's a movie. (laughs) It has... You said Shane West? Uh-huh. Okay. Who was in one of our bad movies before mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. podcast, which was Get Over It. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time. Mandy Moore was also in... Uh, Chasing Liberty. Yeah, Chasing Liberty, when she was the first daughter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're getting another Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore was also in one of our good movie pairings, which was Saved, right? Wasn't oh, yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, I mean, so. repeating people over and over again, mm-hmm. especially on the bad movie side. It seems like some people are just in a niche of bad movies. Here's the thing about what to remember, though. Like, man, when that movie came out, it was like my favorite movie. I've watched it a million times. I've watched the um, commentary version a million times. I will be surprised if I can't quote the entire movie when we watch it. It's been a long time since I watched it, though. And it's like, I know that it's a bad movie. But man, I thought it was a great movie before I had taste. Okay. (laughs) And I think it's going to be very enjoyable. I know that a, a line that you're going to love is there's one point where Mandy Moore agrees to like do something for Shane West's character. Uh-huh. And she says, on one condition, you have to promise not to fall in love with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. So that's the caliber of movie we're getting. Okay. So what's the caliber of Notting Hill? <sighs> it's hard to kind of compare it. So it was made in 99. It's definitely like a romantic comedy. Yeah. It's- is it funny? A little bit, but not like his, like laugh out loud hysterical funny. Is it Lisa's funny as Love Actually? I was gonna compare it to Love Actually, yeah, actually, because well, Hugh Grant is also on that. Uh, I, that's the kind of the movie that I compare it the most to. Um, so yeah, kind of a little bit like that. Yeah, I just really love it. I don't. It's there's something about like having Julia Roberts play an American actress being in London, and then you have like Hugh Grant, who's just like at the time was such the epitome of of London and a British actor. I don't know. There's just something very uh, nostalgic about this movie for me about like, like romanticizing, like being American in London or something. I don't know. Right. Well, I hope it's good. Well, real quick, I'll read you the um, movie synopsis for Notting Hill. So it's William Thacker as a London bookstore owner whose humdrum existence is thrown into romantic turmoil when famous American actress Anna Scott appears in his shop. A chance encounter over spilled orange juice leads to a kiss that blossoms into a full-blown affair. As the average bloke and glamorous movie star draw closer and closer together, they struggle to reconcile their radically different lifestyles in the name of love. Man, you're going to love this. That sounds like the premise of every comedy. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, especially like in 99. Like one famous person meets mm-hmm. one non-famous person and all their dreams come true. Right. So as far as drinking rules go... I couldn't find any of our tried and trues. And normally when that happens, like I'll piecemeal from another site or something. Yeah. For this, I don't really want a piecemeal. One, I think this is a disaster, but it's like a disaster that I want to share with other people. Mm-hmm. So this is from a website called Best for Film. And this is how they do the drinking rule to Notting Hill. They say, take one sip when Hugh Grant's hair is conveying whatever emotion his face is too British to display. 
bonus drink if you can successfully pinpoint the specific brand of melancholy he's attempting at the time. Embarrassed coy, modest but triumphant, on fire. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Take a sip when anyone's clothes or accessories become central to either the plot or a hilarious Richard Curtis joke. Who wrote the movie? The screenplay. Um, take one sip whenever you see Julia Roberts acting that she's acting because she plays an actress. These rules are written by someone who thinks that they're hilarious. Absolutely. It would be hilarious if you wrote these rules and you're just, putting, <laughs> you're just passing it off. You're like, yeah, this is on a site I found. <laughs> just waiting for me to laugh, but I'm sitting here stone-faced. I promise I didn't write this. They're trying to be too, like, when you notice she's she's acting like she's acting. Okay, this is all it's literally, it's literally all the internet's giving me. Yeah. Um, Take two sips when a joke happens that only British people would find funny. That seems stupid. An amusing scenario suddenly assumes an unexpectedly weighted seriousness. Okay. okay. And then finish your drink or like waterfall your drink when a season's montage happens without warning. Your heart feels bloody well warmed even against your every will. What? Man, this was bad. Who wrote this? Clearly somebody in the UK, right? Nobody Best for even, film in 2011. If they didn't, if they're not from the UK, then it's like the worst possible type of American. Yeah. Or Canadian, I suppose. Yeah. But the type who says bloody when they're not from the UK, mm -hmm. those people. Oh, uh, I feel, I feel confident I found the person who wrote this because I found a tweet from September 27th of 2011 where a girl named Emily Felch wrote Notting Hill drinking game. Drink whenever Hugh Grant's hair says what his British face can't. Yeah, that's the exact same thing. Yeah, so she surely wrote this thing. What's her name? Emily Fauch. Duke grad, Raleigh native, downtown enthusiast. Find me outside the Ugh. Raleigh Times. So she said bloody while she's from North Carolina. Yeah. Terrible. I don't her, know what it is. It's just like... Her last tweet was in 2017 and said, do you ever look at your dog and start crying because you love him so much? No, I don't, Emily. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'd be. <laughs> That's insane. That's, I just don't know what it is. There's a type of person who, I went to college with somebody like this, um, who was like a self-acclaimed Anglophile. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, this isn't like that though. I don't think this is an Anglophile. I think this is someone who like, what else would this person say? Because there's a very distinct type of person that I'm thinking about in, in my head who would yeah. say something like bloody we also have no proof that she actually wrote this. Maybe she saw this online and like quoted it. And this stole it? Then that's yeah. plagiarism. <laughs> so there's one of two issues here. She's either a thief or she's a terrible human being. <laughs> that's so mean. <laughs> I mean, are you a terrible person for saying bloody? No, but kind of. <laughs> it's like the same type of person who like, Anytime you talk about the UK, they have to be like, hello, governor, <laughs> you know, and like right. make that joke. I mean, you've made that joke, but that's like when you were talking about Cockney things, right? Like, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Literally, that's the only time I've ever made that joke. Right. But there's a type of person who, when you're like, oh, think about the UK, that's what they do. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the same type of person who says bloody. For sure. Um, so we promise when we come back, we'll have some real drinking rules. <laughs> we'll have at least more drinking rules. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do a shot in the dark? Sure. So I've never seen, let me think. I feel like I know all this too well, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. what really came to mind, when you were describing this, what really came to mind was that 
It was Seth Rogen and who was love interest? Charlie's Theron. Yeah. What was that called? Um, Where she's like running for president. The long shot? Yes. I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. We saw that not that long ago. Like a year or two ago. It's over a year ago. Yeah. But this made me think of that. Like almost to a T. Right? It's just an actress instead of a politician. Yeah. So one, one thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. This movie is a lot like Love Actually because Richard Curtis wrote Love Actually. Oh. And he also wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh-huh. Which you like that type of stuff. He wrote the movie Yesterday. I liked that movie. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, sorry. Okay, so here's my shot in the dark. Based off of that and what always happens in all romantic comedies. Okay. So there's going to be a point in time in which... I, I don't know which direction it's going to happen. So there's going to be a point in time in which something makes it very evident that they're not the same type of person, right? Because mm-hmm. like he's like a humdrum, whatever, mm-hmm. like the synopsis says, and she's a famous actress. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, even La La Land to some extent did this, mm-hmm. where it gets to a point where it's like the weight of her being a celebrity is going to make one of them basically like split up and then they're going to have to get back together again. Right, like, I can, well, I don't, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but I guess I don't want to offer ideas in case I'm actually remembering a scene from the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to describe. It's going to be something like everything's going really well, Mm -hmm. right? And then some event, I don't know what, is going to make one of them basically be like, it's going to be like a sudden, Mm -hmm. like, not like a, over time, things are fall- getting weird and falling apart. Like it's a weird be like, paparazzi moment. Or, yeah, like, yeah. and it's going to be like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so now we have to be apart. Right. And then somebody's going to come to the realization that, like, actually, we can be together. And then they're going to go get back together. We can be in love, actually. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I did write the website. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. I think that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I think that that has to happen, right? It's, yeah. That's what, like, all comedies like this do. Yeah. Because so many comedies have this exact dynamic where mm-hmm. it's like one person's famous or rich or mm-hmm. some other thing mm-hmm. or very attractive. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is poor or boring or unattractive. Right. And then that's what happens. Right. Every single time. Right. Where I could be wrong. I'm, I'm going to throw this out <laughs> real quick. Where I could be wrong is that what could drive them apart instead of that, which is something like what Shallow Hal did, mm-hmm. is that... One of them is like, they're too actually too boring or too drab for me. And I can actually go be with this person that is my caliber. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that it was actually the humdrum life that you mm-hmm. that you enjoyed. And that drives you back. So are you saying either one of those things? No, no, no. I'm okay. saying that is what could undermine my shot in the dark okay. is if it goes that direction. Because I it. feel like those are the two directions. Mm-hmm. You either realize you're too good mm-hmm. or you think that you're holding someone back. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. All right. Okay, let's do it. And we're back from watching Notting Hill. Before we even go further, I'm opening this because I have never been more frustrated with you during a movie than I was watching this movie with you. That's probably not even true, but you know... Are you kidding me? I can't think of a time I've ever been so infuriated with you throughout a movie. Well, here's the thing. The movie... I thought was going to be better than it was. And and again, I'm not saying that this is a terrible movie. I think it's an enjoyable movie. So when I say 
that it should be better. I don't mean that it needs to be more enjoyable. It was very enjoyable, but I thought it was going to be a better movie because it's almost at this point like a classic movie, right? Like, yeah. I thought to get that status, you had to be a lot better. Have you seen Citizen Kane? Not since like a film <laughs> class in like a long, long time ago. It's supposed to be a joke. Well, yes, I have. But that that all that aside, right? Mm-hmm. My thing is just that like, we talked about this. So the same person who made this made Love Actually, right? Mm-hmm. Love Actually, I think, is also almost the level of like a classic, right? Like a movie that... <laughs> almost. <laughs> it is a classic. Well, yeah, I think the card scene is about as famous as as the line in this that Julia Roberts says. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but that's a good movie. It's a great movie. So maybe he just got better between Notting Hill and this in, in, in Love Actually. I just like, I can't sit here and have a conversation with you where you talk about a movie like this. That said, I said it before we started recording, but I chose this movie, one, because I wanted to watch it. Two, knowing that this would not be a movie that you loved, but I thought that you would enjoy watching in terms of what we do here. Yeah, it was a very enjoyable drinking movie. Speaking of which, we came up with some great drinking rules. Way better than Emily Fuchs or whatever her name was. Yeah, there was uh, a number of good ones that we came up with. I wrote a couple down. One uh, that I think everybody needs to drink to is for at least the first half or maybe even two-thirds of the movie, you need to drink when Julia Roberts should have more dialogue and doesn't. Sure. There are scenes where you are like, she is certainly about to say a word, mm-hmm. and she does not say a word. This The dinner scene uh, where she is meeting Hugh Grant's family, I don't know his, their names. What are their names? In the, Anna is her name. and then William Thacker. William, right, right, right. So she's meeting William's family, and... You know, they're like doing the whole like his quirky family, like meeting this famous Hollywood actress for the first time. And it's supposed to be this really endearing thing where it's like she immediately won all of them over, like because she's more than just a celebrity. But really, all she does is that it cuts to her nodding and smiling. She's literally the whole movie. It's like 30 minutes of her being like, mm hmm, mm hmm. But she doesn't even make that noise. It's literally just a. A soundless smile and head shake. Yeah. And that's like her character development somehow. Of yeah. like, She really doesn't have any, any personality for the first half of the movie at least because she has no real dialogue. Yeah. And then she gets a personality. Which is not a good one. It's not. She's really not redeemable in this movie at all. No, when she gets a personality, it's really just to be like, this bad thing happened to me. Take pity on me. You don't know what it's like to be rich and famous. Sometimes it's hard to. Like, you know, yeah. that's her personality when she finally gets one. Mm-hmm. She never apologizes for, like, anything that she does. Mm-hmm. She just shows up and is like, why aren't you taking me back yet? Basically. I'm going to point out, too, that two of the times. So she leaves three times. Mm-hmm. And the first two three times. Acts. Huh? Three acts. Sure. The first two times. She has a boyfriend both times. That's true. That and really bothered Sean. Boyfriend. He couldn't stop it's talking a, about it. It's a different boyfriend. Well, and I couldn't stop talking about it because there were parts of the movie where I was like, if she has a boyfriend one more time, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is getting into the like ridiculousness. She's really also kind of a horrible person because every time she fucks up, she's like gaslighting him to be like, it's your fault that I'm famous. What was she exactly? So she was like, she kind of just flew off the handle on one time where it's like, they literally just had like the best moment, right? Mm-hmm. And again, she 
cheated, I guess, with him mm-hmm. on somebody he didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets like kicked out of the hotel room unexpectedly and the boyfriend played by Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Great cameo. Yeah. Um, pretends like, well, he doesn't pretend he thinks that he's like a bus boy or like a bellhop or something like somebody yeah, that works like, for the hotel. Like right. Service, yeah. Yeah. And so he gets treated like that. And cheated on. They don't see each other again for like months or something like that. Mm-hmm. When she does finally come back, it's not even to like apologize for that. It's not even she does. She never acknowledges <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I had a boyfriend and I didn't tell you. And like you got treated like shit and I left and didn't mm-hmm. talk to you. It's literally just to come and be like, meh, this bad thing happened to me. Yeah. And I wanted to come here because this is where I'm safe. And then the like they kind of reconcile. They spend a night together and the very next morning. She's like paparazzi you told them you just want to be famous she sought him out right he didn't seek her out right he didn't even know she was there she right. sought him out right. and then she's like flying off the handle and then she as she's leaving that time he's like it's not so bad people will, will forget about it and there's a point i'm going to get to in a second about that but she's like people are going to see they're going to see like me here with you my boyfriend's going to see <laughs> But she already told him that, like, she's no longer with Alec Baldwin. So I'm assuming that's a second boyfriend unless she was lying and she was still with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever his character is supposed to be. But the best part of that whole kind of like her getting angry and, and going on her angry monologue type thing is that there's a quote I wrote down that said, you don't get it. Newspapers last forever. <laughs> oh, false. Because he's trying to just be like. Yeah, this is in the newspaper today, and then it's in the trash tomorrow. Right. Like, every day is a new story that they're going to cover, and people will forget about it. And real product of the time, she's like, this will be filed away. It'll be put in my file. Yeah, she did. She did say that. <laughs> I guess someone's going to pull out, like, a literal, like, manila envelope file with these news clippings in it and be like, see this? You are with a British man who runs a travel bookstore right. <laughs> <laughs> in the newspaper. <laughs> He literally runs a travel bookstore, which is not even a bookstore, which is bad enough. In 99, bookstores still existed. They were doing not as great as they used to, obviously. Bookstores still exist. Bookstores kind of still exist. As you know, with our local bookstore um, that everybody keeps trying to rally behind, it keeps going out of business. And then people are like, oh, we stopped going to that bookstore. I guess it's time to like rally together and rebuild the bookstore. Right. Well, and I mean, Amazon already existed in the 90s and they started as a bookstore. True. Um, So I don't know. It's just like even when bookstores were doing really well then, right? Like where you could have like a local hole in the wall bookstore. For sure. Even when they're doing well, you couldn't have a travel bookstore. Right. Where where you're not a travel travel agent. No, yeah. (laughs) Well, you could be a travel agent Mm -hmm. that sold books to your clients. Um, You can't do that anymore either. But like, you know, just this idea that, you are just selling like atlases and like literally like what to do when you're in Rome or the one that he points out to her is Turkey. So she like picks up a random book on Turkey and he's like, don't get that one. Mm -hmm. Get this one. That (laughs) one's trash. This one's good. (laughs) Which also like he curates a a bookstore. So like why do you carry books that you think are trash when you're going to redirect everybody (laughs) to the other book? Right. So he doesn't even run his bookstore well. Right. He, he says at the beginning that he's losing money, too. He's losing 300 like, pounds a day or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like I'm concerned for him. And he lives in a pretty nice flat across the street. Yeah, there's no way he afforded that. But how many yards across the street? Yeah. So we brought this up. You can also drink 
to any time that they really try to point out the difference between Americans and, and British people. And one way that they do that is that they'll have subtle things like when he bumps into her and makes uh, and she's she spills orange juice on herself, which that, mm-hmm. it's weird to walk around the street with a glass of orange no, juice. No, he but, just bought an orange juice. Yes, for, I know, but it's weird to walk down a street with an open thing of orange juice. It was in a in a like a coffee cup with a lid, and then he ran into her. That, you don't think that's weird? Not really. To go orange juice. Anyway, <laughs> when he runs into her and spills it on her, he's then doing his classic, like, Hugh Grant, like, oh, so sorry, blah, 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 blah. Like, uh, how's it go? <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I have a I have a house across the street. You can go, you can come there. I have soap and water and you can, like, wash your stuff. And she's like, where? Tell me in yards. <laughs> like, but it's, like, literally across the street. Yeah, he said across the street. He wasn't like, it's 10 meters from here, <laughs> right. which would be, like, you'd be standing in front of it. But, you know, like... It, he didn't say it in a unit of measurement she couldn't understand. He literally <laughs> said, it's across the street. And she said, what? Tell me in yards. <laughs> it, it was weird. That was definitely it's like a very weird line that I felt like was a just only there to make a dig at Americans. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yards isn't even how we do measurement of like distance. I don't know. That's like a very un- like a unique measure of, of distance. We would normally say feet if it was short or miles if it was mm-hmm. long. And we wouldn't really say yards in between very often, but unless you're talking about like football, right? Right. Like we don't just say like it's 10 yards from here. Right. Getting back to the drinking rules, my favorite one that we came up with was anytime they said something distinctly British. So like Lou, bloke, daft. Um, there well, are and there's a lot of other ones. That they throw so in. many. Like, there's so many, but that was an easy one to drink too. You can also tie that into if you just had a drinking rule about like when they are emphasizing British versus American thing, like mannerisms or okay or differences, right? Because that's like a British mannerism and they're really over-exaggerating it. I didn't feel like they were over-exaggerating it. I feel like they were playing it pretty normal. I don't know. They were over-exaggerating it with his roommate. Well, yeah, for sure. I think he was like Scottish, wasn't he? I think he was Welsh. I think they said that he was Welsh, but... Another good one is anytime that she gets recognized... Yeah, she gets recognized all the time. Or when they talk about her, you could mm-hmm. say, uh, like, strangers talk about her, her or she's recognized mm-hmm. or she's, like, on a street sign or something like that. Yeah. And then the other one we said was, like, when there's, like, press or paparazzi. You know, one other thing about her, I don't, I don't think this is true of any celebrity. They're in London, right? So this is mm-hmm. just an area of London. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's from a small town, right? Mm-hmm. He's not from, like, Notting Hill, 100 miles outside of London. He's from... Just a, a quaint ne- area of London. A neighborhood, yeah. Right, so he, it, this, I mean, that's a little strange to be talking about him like he's like, mm-hmm. you know, from nowhere. Not like he's in a tiny place. He's in London. And yet, the only actor or actress on any advertisement, on any billboard, on any bus, in any newspaper is Anna. That's Julia true. Roberts' character. That's true. She's never with another person. It's like literally like, her movie is the only movie playing in all of London. Yeah. And that was kind of my point. You know, it's like if he was from like a little village outside of London where you had a movie theater that plays two movies or something like that, mm-hmm. then maybe. But you're in London, mm-hmm. right? That has its own movie stars. Right. You're not from like rural nowhere that has no rich and famous people. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was a little strange that it's only ever her and it's on everything because it's not like. Hey, I know you. You're an American actress. It's like she her face is plastered on everything everywhere. Right. Well, it was highly contentious why we were watching 
the movie. Yeah, that was a thin connection. But, I mean, God rest his soul. Tony Armitreden, I'm happy to have known you as security man. Is that what they said? Uh, that was the character's name. It was? Security mm-hmm. man? Mm-hmm. Well, that is how Ashley connected to the next movie. Because mm-hmm. he um, sadly died of cancer this year, right? Yeah. Last year? Yeah. Was he in anything else? I think he he, he played a, a small role in um, something else. Hmm. We'll have to look it up later. Yeah. But R.I.P., thank you for giving us the opportunity to honor your memory and connect this movie to you a lot to remember. You have the weirdest connections between movies. I think that was what makes me fun. How did you even hear about this? I wanted to watch Notting Hill, and I wanted to watch A Lot to Remember. So you... So I googled Notting Hill Cancer. Wow. Well, for a second, I thought that, like, his brother's wife, who was in the wheelchair, I was Mm -hmm. like, did she have cancer? So that's, like, kind of what got me thinking about it. Mm -hmm. She did not have cancer. Yeah, she fell down. Yeah, some stairs. All right, well, I wanted to kill you throughout this movie, but what are you going to read it? So, again, I just want to say that this movie is fun to watch. Okay. Okay. It's a good movie to watch as a drinking movie. It's a good throwaway movie that, like, you know, if you just want to have, like, a night in and have, like, watch a movie and it's fun and light and whatever, like, that's, it's not a super serious movie. Other than her constantly cheating on this man. (laughs) (laughs) So, I can't get past it. Uh, Aside from that, you get to see Hugh Grant keep his hands in awkward positions for two hours straight. Their, their first kiss, he's literally like, has his hands yeah. on his hips, like yeah, in a weird... It's literally like resting on his butt cheek. It really mm-hmm. could be a drinking rule that every time he puts his hands in a weird position, because I noticed right. it a lot. Yeah. Not just that scene, but a lot of scenes. That All that said, I'm going to give it a 60. That's where I am. Cool. Well, I'll send the divorce papers tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. No, I get it. That's kind of where I thought you would be even when I chose it. I didn't think that you would like love this movie, but I did think that you would enjoy drinking to it, which I think I was right. Would I watch it again to make fun of it? Yes. Cool. Um, I'm giving it an 81. I mean, pure 90s nostalgia for me. Kind of like how you and Tyler were talking last week about Bill and Ted. This is kind of my version of that type of nostalgia. Right. I loved it. I'm not going to try to argue that it's an Academy Award winning great movie, but... Well, and again, if I was going to be rating Love Actually right now, I would put that in the 80s. Yeah. And you would probably put it even higher than the 80s, but... Well, let's transition to our movie number two, A Walk to Remember. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen A Walk to Remember? Nope. Boy, are you in a treat. Wait, I said, boy, are you in a treat. Yep. (laughs) Are you in for a treat? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this one came out in 2002. Uh, directed by Adam Shankman, who I've taken many a dance workshop with because he's mainly known as a choreographer, not a director. Hmm. He went on to do, I think he did Hairspray, like the the one that came out in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely his, what his career was, was a choreographer specializing like in musical theater. Right. You know what Adam Shankman did? What? Choreographed the musical episode of Buffy. Huh. Things that I know. Um. So the plot. Set in North Carolina, I'll walk to remember follows the rite of passage of a jaded, aimless high school senior, Shane West, who falls in love with a guileless young woman, Mandy Moore. Guileless? What is it? Was it guileless? Yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought you said guileless. That time, you weren't really messing up the word. I was just confusing. So, guileless, not guileless. 
Yeah. Like she's with it without a guy. No. It is guileless. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure given this type of movie how mm-hmm. what type of okay. That right. time you actually didn't mess up the words. <laughs> so you take a drink. Sashay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> okay. Falls in love with a young woman. Many more. He and his friends once scorned. The two develop a powerful and inspirational relationship in which they discover truths that take most people a lifetime to learn. I can drink on that one. Okay. My shot in the dark. Uh-huh. Just to get it out there, because this is a Nicholas Sparks movie. Uh-huh. If it's Nicholas Sparks movie, then one or both of these people have a debilitating chronic illness. What was the damn connection, Sean? What do you mean? How did I connect these movies? Oh, on cancer. Yeah, that's not a fucking shot in the dark. That's literally the thing that, that I just did. Well, you shouldn't have connected on that because that <laughs> is there a Nicholas Sparks movie that isn't about someone dying of like one or both people always have. It's not always cancer. But it's always something that's going to like completely mm. ravage your life or, I mean, the or kill you. Didn't. The old man talking to his wife with hardcore dementia. When they're like 90. But it still managed to work in a debilitating. Yeah, like, but like a normal debilitating thing. Like not like young love can't succeed because one of them's going to die when they're 90. Sure, but it still managed to work in a debilitating thing so that it's like you're crying and sad. and Yeah, sure. Somebody's going to die. I get it. Yeah, because in all of his movies, they find a way it's like... And also just a note, he is an author and his books get turned into movies. Right. No, I know, I know that, but I haven't read any of his books or anything like that. But I'm assuming that they're all about people dying of random illnesses. Do I still have my signed copy of A Lot to Remember? Mm, I don't know. It should be in the house it. somewhere. It's probably somewhere then. I think it's on the bookcase in the guest room. What a thing. You actually read these books? Yes, Sean. Were the books better than the movies? No. Oh. <laughs> well, in the books, well, not a lot to remember, but in all of his other books, it is some very graphic sex. Like, I think hmm. I learned about sex from Nicholas Spark books. And I remember when I went to his author signing, I brought my copy of A Lot to Remember. And he was like, you read my books? How old were you? I was like 12. Oof. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. And he's like, does your mom know you read my books? <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. He's like, does she read my books? <laughs> and I was like, no. And he's like, okay. So that was awkward. Yeah. I don't have any, uh, I never had any experiences. You know, the only, I've met two authors ever, which is weird because I, re- I read a lot, but I never got a chance to, to go to any author signings. But the only authors I ever met, one was one of the people who wrote the Left Behind series. <laughs> Uh, he was randomly at a Hastings. So there you go. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but, uh, him back when I was reading those books. And then the only other author I ever met was not like a real author. He was a guy that was like trying to sell his book in a, I think a Barnes and Noble or like a, it was like one of those chain, you know, Mm -hmm. like bookstores, uh, in Texas. And he convinced me to buy his book. (laughs) I never read his book, but I bought it. And all I know is that it was about a baseball team where there were ghosts. Okay. Yep. And so that's the only other author I uh, ever met. I don't know his name. Is that what you were trying to tell me you thought a watch to remember was about? No. No, okay. no, no. It just happens. That's it. <laughs> you just really into ghost baseball? I mean. You think about Charlie St. Cloud? Well. Think about you thinking that a watch remembers about this. And now you're telling me that you met an author of ghost baseball team. <laughs> like, do you have a kink that I don't know about? About ghost baseball players? No. Yeah. Uh, also, Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, there's a movie that I remember my mom watching, because my mom only ever watched romantic comedies. That's, like, all she watched, mm-hmm. right? So, it's, like, Dirty Dancing, Footloose, 
Notting Hill, Serendipity, all of those things. I'm assuming Serendipity is a is a romantic comedy too, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I haven't watched them, so I remember have a very distinct memory that she was watching some romantic comedy, and it was like a guy remembering about when he used to be a baseball pitcher, and I cannot figure out what that is. I don't know, but I want to say that he was like you know in his 40s or 50s, and he's just like remembering mm-hmm. back when he was a pitcher. I have no clue. Or something. I'll have to figure it out someday. It's clearly not this. So, once again, we're without drinking rules, but I found a drinking game or drinking rules that somebody published on their Tumblr, mm-hmm. Product of the Times drink. So, somebody with the Tumblr name, The Girl in the Red Sunglasses, posted a lot to remember drinking game I'm making up right now. And these are the rules that she says Okay. Shane West looks moody, Mandy Moore sings. Someone makes fun of Mandy Moore. Shane West does something sketchy with or without homies. With or without homies? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mandy Moore completes something off her list. Someone cries or you cry. And Switchfoot sings a song. Oh, Lord. Okay, I am going to say I said it before we started recording, but the soundtrack to this movie is probably one of my most played CDs of all time throughout my like childhood and teenage years. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering co- correctly, and I'm not including the Switchfoot song in, the, in this. Wait, I think... wait. Can I guess on what song? Oh, man. Okay, that's my shot in the dark. Okay. My shot in the dark is that it's going to be, dare you to move? <laughs> what? Do you know what? Uh... <laughs> I know what song you're talking about. <laughs> uh, what is that song? It's called Dare You to Move. Oh, it was? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, like today never happened. Yeah, yeah that. <laughs> today never happened. Before. I uh, I think it's gonna be that song. Okay, so that's, that's my shot in the dark. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's gonna be that song, or it's gonna be the "You're on Fire" song. I don't think I know that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's one of those, th- I, I think I'm gonna, I'm going with "There You Move." <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I, I bring this up because I wish I had a shot in the dark about the music in the last movie. Because, boy, was it that... If you think this was the best soundtrack that you had, Notting Hill might have been the worst soundtrack of all time. It it was bad. It was like a country cover of the song, uh, When You Say Nothing At All. It was just bad. And they, yeah. kept, and they kept playing it really loudly. They only really had two songs that they played. Maybe three. Mm-hmm. They had like three songs because they had the Moody song that he played every time that he... Got dumped by Julia Roberts. Because <laughs> she had a boyfriend. And it was like the same one every time. Then they had one song that they kept playing, which was the one you just said. And they had one more song, which was also an uplifting one, which I can't remember uh, the name of that song either right now. But it's like a, you know, 80s era song. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to go see the songs in here and wonder if... Like, I'm not going to try to make an argument that like it's like great music today, but man... That music then was so good. Was it? Well, not Switchfoot, but... I listened to a lot of Switchfoot. Damn. Reliant K. Do you remember Reliant K? They had that one song I liked. Those were the bands that were like, they're Christian rock, but like, you would never know it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even know that what they're really talking about in this song is Jesus. Right. Just like a P.O.D. Do you remember P.O.D.? Yeah. (laughs) P.O.D. was one of those bands that was like... You don't know because all these songs are about school shootings, which they mostly were. (laughs) One of their most popular songs was literally about a school shooting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, you know, you never know that, but they're actually all like very into Jesus. Right. (laughs) God. Okay, well, let's go get into some Jesus and watch uh, what to remember. All right. 
So wait, pause. Brought to you by Switchfoot. Yeah. Dare you to move. Yeah, dare you to move. I hit. <laughs> he did. I was a little worried because, you know, they played some Switchfoot songs, but they weren't even ones I really recognized. And so I was like, oh, no, did this movie come out before the album that I knew, <laughs> right. you know, from high school like, or whatever? Sean was like, Lori, he's like, oh, I, I definitely screwed up. Like, sorry. Like, dare you to move was definitely after this movie. Like, I, I should have known. I should have known. And you said it probably like 15 minutes before dare you to move started. And I was like, just trying to bite my tongue. Yeah. Well, luckily, it did eventually play. And it, it played did. almost exactly how I thought it would. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. You know what was not perfect? <laughs> the rest of this movie. Rewind for a second before you say that, though. This was a perfect bad movie. Oh, yeah. It was a very good bad movie. Like, this is, like, what bad movie dreams are made of. Yeah. So, you know, this reminded me a lot of uh, Midnight Sun, that type of movie. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that this was... I don't know if I could say it's better... I don't know. So Midnight Sun, it definitely seems like a knockoff. Like that type of movie Mm -hmm. seems like a knockoff of this movie. But they're like, I guess like, you know, a director that's just trying to be Nicholas Sparks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're just trying to recreate Nicholas Sparks because Charlie St. Cloud feels the same way. So Watch Remember was the first time that Nicholas Sparks was really introduced to a mass audience. This was the first first of his books to be adapted into a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, really, he set an entire genre right through that. Yeah. Anything like a Midnight Sun is definitely trying to emulate Nicholas Sparks. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it fits the mold. Right. But, the but movie, I just want to get out of the way that you thought that you had fun watching this movie. Definitely. It was it was an enjoyable bad movie. It was not a good movie. Right. It, oh, it's not a good movie at all. It was a bad movie, but it was, I don't know, like, is it funny? No. Like, in terms of, like, as a movie, like, did they write jokes that were funny? No, they did not. Did I cry laugh so many times? Yes. Uh, It ended up being inadvertently funny. There were so many quotes. Normally, I write down things that I see that are, like, you know, just the way they act, the mannerisms they have, the holes in the plot, things like that. Mm -hmm. This time, it was almost all quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that they thought any of these quotes were funny when they were writing them or or reading them. They're very serious. Yeah, I mean, I have a whole bunch. One, (laughs) and a lot of them fit on this theme, like, I haven't noticed this theme in Nicholas Sparks' books or movies, but this is by far the most religious, like, overtly Christian Nicholas Sparks story I have ever seen. Right, but this was very popular. Like, that was, like, a very popular theme at the time. Yeah, well, 100%. You had, like, the rise of Christian rock and, like, mega churches and that type of thing. Honestly, like, I'll say that, like... Because I know a little bit about Adam Shankman, I know that his intention was not to make an overtly religious movie. But I think that maybe his directing was not genius by any means. Neither was when he was pushing the wheelchair in his one cameo. Yeah. But, I mean, thinking of, like, a gay man doing his first movie, like, it's kind of smart to kind of, like, market it in a Christian way. And then be able to say shit as many times as you want (laughs) and, like, have all these other themes, but try to anchor it in Christianity. Yeah, it was just a little weird because I feel like, I don't know if Nicholas Sparks is, like, incredibly religious or anything like that. I just, is that's not the vibe I get from other things. I think The Notebook is the only one I've seen of his. And so, like, I'd say that, like, I don't remember that being particularly, like, evangelical or anything like that. This, especially for the first half almost seemed like like a christian movie not like a movie with christian themes like a like 
standing with giants or whatever that movie's called like that type of movie right where it's like made by like a church right and so i also told you like when we were watching this that like the story was inspired by his sister who died Mm -hmm. of cancer so if anything i could imagine it being more of a tribute to her and if like she was super religious maybe i don't know it's like this is the issue that i was having right so like maybe but the problem is that the first quarter of the movie at least is like there, I don't even know what point they're trying to make, but it's just basically like the cool kids slash bullies of the school are making fun of Mandy Moore for being religious. Yeah, it, it is really weird because like that was, I mean, I'm about to say that like that was not a thing when I was in school, but also I was in the deep south, but they were like in the mid south. I mean, they're in North Carolina. That's not deep south. No, but it's. The South. Right. I want to read this thing from Wikipedia real quick. Yeah. So it says the novel was inspired by Sparks' sister, Danielle Sparks Lewis, who later died of cancer in June 2000, which is the movie came out in 2002. So it wasn't that yeah. far. Although the story is largely fictional, certain parts were based on real experiences. For example, his sister, just like Jamie, was never popular at school and always wore an ugly sweater. And just like Jamie, she always carried the Bible around with her everywhere she went. And just like Landon and Jamie, never in a thousand years did anyone think someone would ever fall deeply head over heels for her. His sister's husband proposed marriage to her despite her sickness. After her death, Sparks said in the eulogy, I suppose I wrote this novel not only so that you could get to know my sister, but so that you would know what a wonderful thing it was that her husband once did for her. Huh. So, I mean, I guess that makes some sense. But even so, you know, like, what's the point then of all the like, like, so one of the quotes I wrote down, for instance, was... I bet you read about that in your precious book. And then it mm-hmm. zooms into the the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like that type of comment. Or like, there's another one where she has a star frame, right? Which is like popsicle right. sticks or whatever with cellophane across it. Right. And it's supposed to help you see like constellations and stuff when you hold it up to, to the night sky because she's obsessed with stars. And one of the cool kids, whatever, walks up and is like, I bet you can see angels with that, huh? Right. That's not mm-hmm. even like a real riff on anyone, right? Like that's not even like do bullies talk like that? <laughs> they do in this world. Yeah, I mean like in this is what 2002? Mhm. Okay, so 2002. And the movie is supposed to be set in the late 90s because the book came out in 99. Okay, but so late 90s, early 2000s, still it's just like I mean it was definitely mainstream culture, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if evangelical Christianity was mainstream culture, but kind of. Mm-hmm. especially during the Bush era. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm just a little confused how they think that, like, people were getting bullied in school for reading the Bible. Because mm-hmm. that is 100% not the experience yeah. of most people in the United States in the 90s and 2000s. For sure. Or today, for that matter. So for sure. That's a little strange. But uh, there's that. <laughs> One of the things that I pointed out when we saw it is that he's um, Shane West's character is looking through the yearbook. This is before he like falls for her. It's after they've kind of had a falling out because he's being like the traditional douchebag. Yeah, douchebag who like is starting to get interested in her but is still like publicly mean to her because mm-hmm. other people don't like her yet. Even though she's helping him on the side. Right. It's that whole standard story. But there's a scene where he's like looking through the yearbook and he sees a picture of her and next to it, it's like your quote that you're trying to say. It's not like their senior picture, I don't think. Maybe it is. I don't know. But just a yearbook picture. Yeah, there's a quote next to hers, though. And it says, 
ambition to witness a miracle. It's quite the ambition. Yeah, her ambition is to witness a miracle, which also leads us into a plot point, which is that she has a list of 41 or 40 mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. things that she wants to do in during mm-hmm. her life. And those range all sorts of things. There's a handful. They don't address all 40 or whatever. Mm-hmm. They do address a couple. Number one, she keeps a secret for two thirds of the movie, whatever. Uh, you can guess what that one is. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> one of them is like she wants to be in two places at once, which mm-hmm. like there is no explanation of what that even means. Like, what was her intention when she wrote on the list, I want to be in two places at once? Because he finds a way to make that happen. I but think it was literally because that idea came up, and I was like, how can I romanticize this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that one was a little <laughs> I weird. I think it was literally like a like a chicken became came before the egg <laughs> type thing. Yeah, that might be the case. I don't know. It, that one is just like... I don't know. A lot of the list is really stupid. There's a few things that happen, you know, eventually, I mean, to jump way forward, you know, of course they fall in love. This man is now interested in her and develops his own list, right? Because now like she's changed his life and he now is going to have his own list of 40 Mm -hmm. things to do. Mm -hmm. And you get a small glimpse into what his list includes. Mm Mm-hmm. Hers included things like being in two places at once. Was falling in love one of them or was it just getting married? Um, it was, I think it was getting married in her parents' church, but there was also like make a medical discovery. Right. And, that was another one. Yeah. Um, get a tattoo, be in two places at once. Get it, getting a tattoo. That's another mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Befriend someone she doesn't like. Yes. Uh, so those are the ones that they address. His, you can only really see because like his mom found it in his pocket while doing his laundry or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's reading it off to him and is like, what is this? Because, you know, he plays the the classic, like, I'm not interested in anything. I'm too good for everyone. That type of person, right? So right. his mom finds this, like, heartfelt like list of things that he wrote that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And number one on that list is that he wants to examine moon rocks. I think the exact quote is, examine a moon rock. Right, so not own a moon rock, not mm-hmm. like go to the moon. Mm-hmm. He wants to examine a moon rock. He wants to go to the Discovery Museum for Children and go look at that moon rock. Yeah, but nothing about him at any other part of the movie actually ties to moon rocks. His love interest is interested in space and stars. Mm-hmm. And it is a plot point that he helps build a cannon-sized telescope. Mm-hmm. But beside that, he really has no connection to like moon rocks, Mm -hmm. right? And stars are not the same as being interested in like stars and constellations is not the same as being interested in moon rocks. Right. Right. So why that is on the top of his list when he has expressed no interest in science or anything Mm -hmm. for that matter. Right. Is a little strange. They never really like develop his character any, Mm -hmm. like he never becomes like now he knows what he wants to do with his life. Mm -hmm. They do kind of at the very end, give him a little bit of purpose, I guess. But if that's based on a true person, I don't know. Maybe he wants to look at moon rocks, too. I want to back up for a second and talk about him falling in love with Jamie, who is Mandy Moore's character. Yep. So we we covered that he and his friends are brutally mean to her for nothing, for wearing a sweater and being really into Christianity. Yeah, in like every classic 90s and 2000s movie, it's just like making fun of her because like you wear glasses and only a little bit of makeup. Right. And so we're going to make fun of you until you take your glasses off and wear a little bit more makeup. Right. (laughs) All uh, she's all that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have to emphasize that absolutely nothing happens between these two characters leading up to the night of the school play in which 
Mandy Moore puts on makeup Mm -hmm. and sings in the school play. What she presumably was singing in the song that she sang all the time in rehearsal. We saw a montage of a rehearsal. Saw her doing the movements that she did in the song. So definitely not the first time that Landon had heard said song. Right. And he is just infatuated with her. Mm -hmm. That is the only thing that changed in this entire movie for him then to decide he's in love with her. And like so much so that like he's like chasing her down on me and like, you know, you want to be with me. And it's like, what the fuck? Like what happened? Yeah, really all that happened was that she put on makeup and wore better clothes. Right. And then like, so she like rebukes him because she's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Willis? And then in a future scene, not long after that, like his friends do a horrible prank on her and she's really sad, but he immediately is like, baby, it's okay. And it's like, what are you doing? It was very quick. Like if like a guy in high school told me that he liked me and like wanted to date me and I was like, nah. And then the next day he was calling me baby. I'd be like, I'm calling the police. Yeah, that's very strange. That was almost as fast as Julia Roberts decided to kiss Hugh Grant. (laughs) Notting Hill. (laughs) Yeah, which literally the process of them having their first kiss is literally she comes into his travel book store shop, tries to buy one book about Turkey. He sells her a different book about Turkey because the other one isn't good. Then she leaves. They don't really talk that much. He never acknowledges who she is. Then she leaves. Later, he happens to accidentally run into her while holding his orange juice cup and spill it on her. They go back to his apartment so that she can clean off because he spilled juice on her and they kiss. Yep. That is the process of how they wound up having their first kiss. I wish we had something so romantic. So romantic. (laughs) It, It makes absolutely no sense. That is even faster than how these two people, at least these people practice the play together. That is true. And spent every night after school together. Right. Can we talk about our favorite line of the whole movie? Which was? It had everything. It had your shot in the dark. It, it did. Had, it had our favorite quote. Like, I mean, we had a pause. We paused, rewind, rewatched it. I was doing like the type of laughing where like I can't breathe and I think like my head's about to explode. Uh-huh. Do you ever feel that way? Like when you're laughing, like you laugh so hard that like it feels tight in your forehead. Yeah, I understand. And you're like, and you're like, okay, I have to like stop and breathe and not laugh for a second because I might die. Yeah. I did that. That yeah. was that's how it was. So, spoiler, if you made it this far, <laughs> you don't know the story of a lot to remember. Sorry. Uh, Landon has just found out that um, Jamie has cancer. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to his estranged father's house. This and- is the father, by the way, that they never really talk about. So right. he lives with his mom. You see that he lives with his mom. You don't really see his dad. They never really talk about his yeah, dad. Or- like, there's no not like there's no acknowledgement of like some like a lot of times like a trope would be like introducing the mom character and then saying something like I need you to be the man of the house because it's just you and me blah 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 you know like right, yeah there was none of that like there was no like oh single mom household blah 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 which I appreciate like we don't need that type type of trope in that situation right there's also nothing like his dad trying to contact him or. Right. You know, at minimum, even if they didn't do what you said, normally what a movie would do is something like he keeps getting a call and it says dad and he mm-hmm. always hangs up right. without answering it. There's literally no allusion to his father and I don't wonder where he is. No. So there's no, <laughs> they never make you question like what is his relationship with, like with his dad until they do this play and his dad happened to go to it 
And that's when he's like, oh, you're here now? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever. And he's, like, angry at him. But you never know before that that he's actually supposed to be angry at him or that he's, like, his dad hasn't been in his life. At this point, he's, like, what, 17 or 18? He's so 18. it's like, And can, can I do a quick reenactment of that scene? Yeah. So it's Landon, like, walking out of the auditorium of the school, his dad stopping him, and Landon being like, what are you doing here? And he's like, you did such a great job, son. I was hoping... Maybe we could go grab a bite to eat or something. And Landon goes, now you want to show up? And then he like shrugs off and starts to, you know, like storm off. And his dad's like, don't walk away. He goes, you taught me how. Yeah. Which is the first time that you know that that's even a thing going on in the movie. It was very random. Like, it was just like you had no warning. (laughs) Right. And then the dad doesn't really show up again until later, which is what you were referencing uh, a minute ago. Which is where he now knows that Mandy Moore's character has cancer, has leukemia specifically. And just learned about it. And just learned about it. And so he, having just learned about it, rushes to his dad's like mansion. Which is not quite a mansion, but it's like, he's well off, right? That's a larger home than ours. Yes. And so he like runs to his dad's house and is banging on the door and like nobody's answering. And so he like turns around like sullenly like, I guess he didn't change like whatever right but then his dad does answer the door with his new wife or whoever that Mm -hmm. woman was and he has this weird conversation where he's like immediately like i just found out that my girlfriend has cancer you have to do something like you don't even know who his dad is or what he does right you've never been told what occupation his dad Mm -hmm. has or right anything about it right Mm -hmm. it seems that he has not been in his son's life for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Then he came to one play. Mm-hmm. And now his son is like running to his house being mm-hmm. like, my girlfriend has cancer. You have to help. You have to do something right now. Like you have to come see her like right now. Right. And so like as they're having this conversation, he's basically like, I need you to come and see her. And, you know, the the father keeps going back and forth. And he was like, I, like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't I haven't like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I haven't seen her case files. And he's like, well, can you help her or not? And that's when he says, son, I'm a cardiologist. (laughs) (laughs) Which, not an oncologist. He's a cardiologist. Which, at least that's reasonably close. And it it could have been much funnier if it had been, like, an orthodontist or something like that. But, you know, that's funny enough. Uh, That was probably the funniest line of the whole movie. And then immediately it's followed up by Shane West going, forget it. I knew it. Being like, I knew you weren't going to help me. Like, I knew it. Like, I knew you would never hold me. I knew you were a cardiologist. Right? <laughs> we rewatched that scene like two or three times, and it was it was so good every single time. After that, not long after, you then find out that like he's at the hospital with Mandy Moore, and Mandy Moore is now leaving, and he was like, what, they're letting you go home? And she's like, yeah. It turns out your dad, he paid for me to have in-home services. <laughs> right. It's like, What? <laughs> this man has been gone for 18 years. He comes back to one school play and now he's paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars to have in-home services. I mean, she didn't live that long, so. Well, he didn't. Well, long enough. <laughs> I mean, in the U.S., even a few months. They said that she lived the whole summer, right? So, yeah. like, let's say there's just three months. Three months of in-home services. You're, I mean, you're looking at some. Depends on if she has insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know it that's you're talking i don't know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars you can afford it maybe i knew it how much do cardiologists make more than we do <laughs> yeah that's true uh 
probably the my last favorite thing that I wanted to call out is so there's this huge thing around Landon building Jamie a telescope, which I don't know how he does it because he basically just takes like a very big cardboard tube and then sets up outside our house and just takes like a mechanical pencil and starts just like scribbling on paper. And like that is the gist of him building this telescope. There's also a point in time where he's sawing. Mm hmm. But then you see that he's making a cylinder cardboard tube. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what he was sawing. I, I don't know. But he, he completes it in time for Jamie to see a comet that came that they don't know when we'll pass over again. Yeah. And they do it on the balcony of her room. Mm-hmm. But as we realize, as they're sitting out there, there's no door to this balcony. <laughs> no, they must have somehow climbed out the window with this cannon-sized telescope. Right. And like we're talking about, like we know, we know they're like, I personally know people who had houses who had balconies that were primarily, u- they were definitely like primarily used for decoration, but like they were usable. So like my friends could like crawl through the window and get out on them, which presumably w- what was happening here. But, like, the process of getting this big-ass telescope out there, it just seemed like a really weird set design choice to not include a door. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make any sort of sense. I will say there's one other point that I didn't want to bring up, too, which is there's one other pivotal scene. You know, they're now actually starting to kind of fall for each other, and everything's going kind of okay, and then she goes to school there's like a side storyline where like his ex-girlfriend is like jealous, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. she doesn't want him to be in love with someone else and whatever. But so what she does is that they show this scene kind of like a montage or of sorts, but it's basically like you see them very intricately photoshopping a photo of Mandy Moore's face. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like a photo that it looks like they took from the play, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or from the yearbook, one of the two. No, it's from the play because we're talking about how hot she looked. Okay, right, right, right. So they basically take the play photo, which is in black and white for some reason. I don't know why. And they're like getting rid of everything but her face. They're like way zoomed in and they're erasing like all the little pixels to make sure that it looks neat and clean and whatever. That's what you see. So you know that they're photoshopping, right? Mm -hmm. So when she gets to school, they then have all these flyers that they're handing out. Mm Mm-hmm. And somebody is like, oh, wow, I didn't know that's what you looked like. Is this you? And they turn it around and it is an in color. Mind you, the face was black and white. Mm -hmm. It is an in color, (laughs) like bikini clad body. Mm -hmm. It's like a sexy sports illustrated type pose. Yes. But faced the opposite direction (laughs) of the face. And then this black and white face is just posted over the back of the head of this, the woman whose actual body it is. And they definitely like dedicated like one minute and 30 seconds to them intricately like photoshopping. Yeah. Like the premise was that they were making, like they're going to deep fake like Mandy Moore's face onto a body. No, they went through all that effort and all they did is take a black and white face and literally paste it on top of an in-color swimsuit, Mm -hmm. like, edition, like, Sports Illustrated type thing. Mm -hmm. It makes absolutely no sense. Right. And then, of course, she's, like, she's heartbroken (laughs) and, like, runs out of the school and then Shane West gets in a fight over it because, like, this is now his woman, you know, like... And now he's going to call her baby. Yeah. Okay. What are you rating this? It was enjoyable to watch and it was a very, very bad movie. I would say that in terms of, like, the quality of a movie, I would give it a 48 Okay. Well, I feel really effing weird when I say I'm giving it a 72. 
Wow. Not because of, like, the caliber of movie, but, like, this wasn't my top favorite bad movies to watch. Well, and we're going to have to fix the scale if we're going to keep rating all these different. Like, I'm trying to say what type of quality of movie it is. Right, but you're the one who gave me the idea that we have to factor in the enjoyability of watching it as a bad movie. Yeah, and so I guess we we weight them differently. Because for me, it's like, Mm -hmm. even so, like, maybe this movie would be like a 30 if I wasn't weighing in how enjoyable If I wasn't waiting this, I'd probably give it like a 60. Mm. Like, I definitely thought it was higher than what you'd give. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. The dialogue was bad. I don't know, it's it's purely the nostalgia for me. Like, I could quote the entire movie backwards and forwards. Right. I love this one. So, next week, we're actually doing a listener pick. Uh Uh-huh. So, we have a friend of the show. Uh Uh-huh. Who is deep in a Billions watch. Yep. So the Showtime show and decided that he wanted to recommend a Paul Giamatti pairing. Yep. So we're going to be watching Sideways. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. Yep. Yep. And Lady in the Water. Yes. So Lady in the Water, for those of you who don't remember it, is one of M. Night Shyamalan's lesser known movies. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as popular as, as Signs and Sixth Sense and all that. About a mermaid. Can't wait. The trailer looked absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be great. I think it's everything I want. And Paul Giamatti, I guess. We'll see. We'll see if he's good <laughs> or not. Um, I don't know why I always mix up Paul Giamatti and John Luigazamo. Like, I don't think that they're, they're the same person, but like, even a little bit the, the same. names are just kind of Italian, I guess. <laughs> right? That's I guess. Like a type of Italian name. But John Luigazamo, I'm thinking of because he was in The Happening. Oh, yeah. Where he was absolutely horrendous. Obsessed with math. And obsessed with math. <laughs> One of my very favorite scenes of that movie was when they're driving and they're in a like ragtop Jeep and, you know, you can't let the air in or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he looks up and there's a little tiny tear in the in like the soft canvas of Mm -hmm. the of the Jeep. And he was like, everybody has to get out right now. (laughs) (laughs) That scene is so dumb. Go into the open air. The only dumber part of of that movie is when Mark Wahlberg sees a house plant and he's acting like this is like a serial killer in his house as he's like tiptoeing toward it saying like, I come in peace. (laughs) And then turns out it's a fake plant. Yeah, it's a fake plant. (laughs) That movie. If this is anything like The Happening. It's going to be great. (laughs) It's going to be fantastic. Well, this has been a fun night. Thank you for suffering through Notting Hill and enjoying A Walk to Remember. I liked both. I didn't suffer through anything. I just made fun of them. You have to admit, a walk to remember was a lot of fun. They were both fun. Well, a walk to remember was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for repeating after me. I feel like that John Oliver sketch, and they're like, and now this, and they're like, Dateline, coaching the people what to say. <laughs> right. And she was a beautiful person. She was a beautiful person. <laughs> and you couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Now, after this pick, I'm going to have to go hardcore my, my direction. You went full-on Ashley pick in this one. Like, mm. this, 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 these picks were for Ashley. Oh, for sure. I'm going to have to go that far. I haven't gone that far before. If you choose Kung Fu Panda or whatever that Kung thing is, <laughs> I'm like, Kung I'm not Fu doing Panda. it. Kung Fu Panda. What was it? <laughs> uh, Kung Pao. Yeah, no. Enter the fist. I'm not going to um, movie night. We'll see. It's in our house, but we'll see. That movie is in this home? No. I meant movie night isn't our home. Oh. Because <laughs> you said I'm not going to go. Yeah, I'm just going to go to my bedroom. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. Well, so I'm going to have to go full. Uh, it's going to be comedies. 
What? Maybe a lot of journeying on foot. We'll see. Horses. Yeah. Medieval you. times. Hate you. <laughs> we'll see. Oh man, you know a good pairing. I just came up off the top of my head. Uh, Night's Tale. I knew you were about to say that. Well, but have you ever seen Night's Tale? Uh, I saw it a long time ago. Night's Tale was really good. I would watch it because I like Heath Ledger. Okay, yeah. Well, Night's Tale is is legitimately good. Mm-hmm. But what movie came to my mind when I was thinking about medieval and horses and whatever is Black Knight. Oh my God! It's Kevin Hart in that. No, it's. Um, I was like, he's about to say some Kevin Hart movie. That's literally the movie I was thinking of. This is uh, from like the around the same time period of, as Night's Tale. No, I remember like it's like a parody of it. I don't know if it's a direct parody of that. Um, it's also like a time traveling. Martin Lawrence. That's Martin it Lawrence. That's who it was. Yeah. That would be a really good pairing. What it? Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. See ya. See ya.